years after me, now other media figures, as if I'm a media figure, are talking about a national separation or a national divorce. We'll talk about that. But we will start with you and listener submissions on this week's Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. I believe it was that once popular but not anymore Christian band Sanctus Real that said, oh, oh, we need each other. What's the fighting for? Oh, oh, we need each other. Please don't close the door. I think it was a couple more lines, and then it was, oh, oh, we need each other because no one's meant to be alone. We are going to work that tripe. I mean, that's a a trite way to say it, but it's also a biblical truth. We're going to work that out on the air today. I will tell you about that in just a moment. My name is Corey Truax. We're dedicated to smarter, deeper, and better talk on The Corey Truax Show. We air on WHRT, his radio talk, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Amongst many other things, I get the absolute privilege and joy of serving as the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. I do love my church. And we meet at 1030 on Sunday mornings in Greenville, South Carolina. You are cordially invited. You can even sit with me. I don't know. I'll figure it out once you get there. In any event, we're going to do... The opening here with listener submissions for this reason. I know you don't care about me. You care about the content, so we won't spend much time here. But I feel like I'm busier than I've ever been. I'm exhausted. I'm coming to you, to this microphone, utterly exhausted. And you can't tell because I am a great faker. But there's just a lot going on in the world, and I know that I'm not the only one. I know I'm saying that to people who have often have kids Some of you are college students and you're working a job. Like We're we're all busy. Life goes at this insane pace. I've said many times into this, Mike, it is that the the years are short, but the days are long. And consider that, guys. It is almost October. I do mean this. I remember the new year very vividly. I remember watching the Super Bowl. That was early February. I... As, as if it was no time at all. I remember the early part of this year, and we're coming up on the end here. Guys, I am now vaguely closer to being 36 than I am 35. The birthday has passed that quickly. And you can all, I think, recognize this in your own hearts and minds. Time is flying. In my, in my life in particular, it is full right now. I know yours is too. And in, in that vein, we need each other. Ecclesiastes says, it's a, it's a two-strand cord that's not easily broken. A three-strand cord is even stronger. It's something like that. I'm paraphrasing. You can go throughout the Proverbs about the wisdom of traveling with, going with, being in relation to others. And I can't do the show by myself today. I need you to help me fill it up, and you'll do that right now. We'll start here with an email from... Uh, which one should we do first? I have four... Let's start, oh, uh, one, one more introductory thought, I think. There's this biblical concept of needing each other, and I do need you for another, for another reason. I can do what everyone else does. I just so, I'm just so bored by it. I wanted to mention this. I am so bored by how media works when it comes to the commentariat. One example, last week was the Met Gala this thing up in New York City to fund the Metropolitan Museum of Art and conservative media, every single one without exception, all had to do a show on it. 
We all got to talk talk about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's dress that said tax the ricks rich on it. Uh, we got to talk about some of the vulgarity and the hypocrisies. Let's do it. I was so bored. And like, I could do that. I can just go grab the news. There's great, even from a Christian perspective, podcasts out there. Ones that are very important, I think, that you should listen to. That That's what they do. They just grab whatever CNN or Fox covered that day. They grab the headlines and say, here's the headline, and maybe here's the Christian way to think about it. That's important. I will admit, some of that's boring to me. Just d- talking about what the whole world told me I was supposed to talk about. So I'm not doing that. And so I, I don't want to do that. I want to be fulfilled in our time. And part of that will be you providing content instead of me being led around by the nose, uh, by media agendas. So here we go. Email from Taylor, who I can't pretend is just a listener. He's also a dear friend um, and a listener to the show, super talented, and uh, part of one of just the sweetest couples, one of my favorite couples of all time. So hi to Taylor and Jessica, uh, good friends. He writes in with... <laughs> I'm so angry. I did not come up with this word. Last week, I spent the end of the show, last 15 minutes, talking about the sin of empathy. I was I was encouraged by Big Brother, who's got a lot of wisdom and a ton of biblical knowledge, to text me to affirm. Yeah, you covered that correctly. Yeah, uh, this is the way uh, that, that distinction, empathy becomes a sin when it empathizes with sin. It was a good segment, so I appreciate that too. But Taylor's cleverness, the subject line of the email says, sympathy, you get it? Not sympathy with an N, but sympathy with with an N in it. Uh, Well done, sir. In short, I will take out some of the nice things he said about me in it because it's not important. Uh, He says, "Uh, I do believe it's like what you suggested. It could be. Um, obviously, whenever we get rid of sin in our lives, it hurts. It becomes part of us, and it hurts when we rip it out. And we can't and uh, rip it out. We can't empathize with people's hurt from sin. Although, if you look at a situation with a parent, they're feeling for their child who is in sin or coming out of sin. They're feeling it in a right, holy way. You're feeling down because their child is in sin. Yes, that is the distinction. It is not uh, the the idea of empathy not being I. I suffer with you in the choices that you made and the sin that you that you committed, but I feel I feel for someone I love. I wish they weren't hurting, but the the consequences of sin are are there, and so we don't want to have sympathy, as Taylor coined there. Thanks, Taylor, for the email. Uh, I also had one from. Uh, let's do this one. Yeah, I'll save that one for later. No, let me save that one for last. Let's go to Josh. Josh sent me something from, I can't remember the guy's name who wrote it, but it was about Josh Harris. Josh Harris is the guy who did the I Kiss Dating Goodbye book. And you probably all heard recently, oh, not recently, in the last year, he said he wasn't an evangelical anymore, so he joined the ranks of the ex-evangelicals and came out with came out with a book. He recently tried to come out with a curriculum on how to rethink your worldview. And he got blown up on the internet by actual secularists saying, you're trying to you're trying to capitalize, monetize becoming secular. And it's actually a great point. Uh, that that's exactly what he was doing. He he doesn't actually have any other talents or abilities. So when he was speaking and writing to evangelicals, 
he was making money off of that. And when he walked out of doing that, he needs to find a new audience because his only talents are audience. And so he tried to monetize his deconversion. Quite cynical move, honestly. And they they put a kibosh on that. He, he withdrew it. There was a couple lines about in the story about Josh Harris that I wanted to get to. One was a really, it was a very good point. There, there are a lot of folks like me, or at least theologically aligned with me, who see the evangelical stories, and their instinct is to say, why can't you just be quiet? Why do you need to make a party out of it? Okay, so you never had a genuine faith, you're walking away from the faith, Okay, why do you need that to be the centerpiece of who you are now? Your, your centerpiece, the centerpiece of your life is now n- negation. It's not anything that you are. You're now telling us your center identity is what you are not. And what a terrible identity to have. To only be defined against something else. You're never actually you. You're only you in negative relation to someone else. I found this to be the case when I was quite young. I don't know why the story just hit me. I'm sorry if it's boring. I think it's actually pretty good. I was a teenager, and I, I remember being annoyed by those... That's not a bumper sticker. Like, these emblems people would put on their car, and it, it would be the Jesus fish, and then there would be feet coming out of the fish, and the inside of the fish would say Darwin. And I remember thinking, what a miserable existence. You're not just a science person. You're not just a secular person. You are you in relation to Christianity. You just think about Jesus people. You think about the church. You're not just like, I think Darwin's great. If you thought Darwin was great, you get a sticker of Darwin. You get, get a name Darwin, or I believe in evolution, or whatever. But no, you wanted to define it in relation to me. You wanted to make sure I knew something about what you thought about me. What a miserable way to live, to only be something in relation to your negation of someone else. And that is, in part, this evangelical movement. Yes, it is miserable in some ways. And so some of others like to say, quiet, just be quiet. Why do you have to yell about it? But this writer, I thought, made a great point of, uh, of hypocrisy, I think. I get annoyed when... We celebrate celebrities being Christians. And they're, they're only tangentially Christian. You get concerned sometimes with the places they are associated with. Like when Justin Bieber is celebrated for being a Christian, he spends all of his time at Bethel and with some really theologically wonky people. Or we celebrate that Candace Cameron Bure or Carrie Underwood is a believer and Carrie Underwood goes to an LGBTQIA marriage-affirming church. All right, so we we get super excited and want people to talk about it when they're a celebrity and they affirm what we believe, but those who are walking away, we want them to be quiet. I would just say of, of both groups, don't be defined by celebrity, whether they're coming into the faith or leaving it. That's, that's not a, it's not a, another, that's another thing to be that's not healthy, to be defined by what, what celebrities are doing and what the famous folks are doing. One other thought I took, I took away from that article was the degree to which atheism is sort of dead. When people used to deconvert from faith, they became atheists. It's becoming less and less the case. When people deconvert now, it is in 
it is it is just to a paganism. As I was reading what Joshua Harris was out there saying, he's basically a pagan now. He just he's made up a Jesus. He's definitely not going to give up religion or faith or worship. He's just going to just he's going to decide the principles, values that he thinks are important, that becomes the object of his worship. And I remember coming up with the Richard Dawkinses, Dawkinses of the world and Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, who actually has a pretty good podcast, by the way. I, I remember coming up and they were the threat. Atheism is growing. Not really, <laughs> especially worldwide. Atheism is imploding in part because wokeism, um, wokeism ate it because uh, atheism is almost exclusively white and male. You could actually find out there in the wokest, uh, the wokest literature how they don't like atheists because atheists are almost exclusively white and male. We know that the white males are the bad guys, and so the, the religion of the white male is not just Christianity. It's also atheism. It's way too white and way too male. And so I don't know. It's kind of funny. In any event, it's also led people to paganism, and that's not funny. So we have still people who were never part of the faith publicly le- leaving any, uh, any affiliation with it to then move on to a, a paganism, and all the, all of those are then opportunities for us, the believer in evangelism. I have one more email I want to get to from Tiffany when we come back from the break, and then, oh, there's another one here I want to get to. So uh, more listener submission. So it's a various and sundry type of show today because of you. By the end, I want to get to that idea of a national separation, a national divorce, because years after I started talking to it, talking about it, others are coming along. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Act show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. Welcome back to the Corey Act show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm grateful you're here. You can find me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. And be so kind as to send me stuff for the show, as many folks have done, and that's our primary content today, as a embodiment of the biblical concept that we need each other, that we're sometimes in a busy world. I got to lean on you to create content for me, and I'm so grateful for you. You know, even in that uh, that concept of needing each other, it is it, it speaks a different word than a, an American value. We are rugged individualists. I listen. I can't stand needing someone else's help. Some of you will get that. Not all of you will understand that. But there are some of us wired and geared to do everything for ourselves. I am offended that you think I might, I might need your help because I got it. And that's, of course, not, not, not a good instinct to have. And th- we're working that out live on the air today. That it's just good to let you guys come along and help, as you have, by emailing Show at gmail.com, Show at gmail.com, with stories and thoughts. We're going to hit uh, this email next from Tiffany. This, she sent me a video just asking, have I, have I seen this? And so I make no other assumption about uh, anyone's thoughts about the video. But I want to play it for you because it gives us a quick chance to do something I haven't done in a while, and uh, I think it's worth uh, a little bit of time. Not not much. I mean, I, a lot a lot I want to do today. The clip is from a an official in Australia. It's about thirty seconds long. She says a bit of a buzzword that I understand why there are 
um, there are reactions to it for some folks that are very visceral. And I want to walk through that kindly and gently the best I can, and biblically the best I can. So here we go. 30 seconds from this Australian health official as she was talking about some COVID policy. Here she is. Are exposure sites still, will they be put back in place to be listed? One moment. Um, we will be looking at what contact tracing looks like in the new world order. And yes, it will be pubs and clubs and other things if we have a positive case there. Our response may be different. You probably know which part got her in trouble. Here it is again. Um, we will be looking at what contact tracing looks like in the new world order. In the new world order. It has been a... I don't want to... I need to choose my words carefully. It has been a topic in primarily Western and American evangelicalism in the last century. A subset of evangelicalism. Maybe you've heard that term, New World Order. It got a lot of play because there was a speech, I think a State of the Union speech, by George H.W. Bush in 89 or 90, where he talked about uh, a thousand points of sparkling light that would establish a new world order. And I've, I've uh, been in this world, uh, this, this world that worries about one world governance and sees in the world around them the idea of a biblical prophecy of a one world government led by the Antichrist, a new world order taking over all other governments, subsuming, consuming or subsuming, I can't think of the word, all governments and this ushering in really a Satan-led world governance that no one can escape. I'm just going to maybe just start here with a thesis statement. I don't think that's true. A lot of us grew up that way. A lot of us grew up in a beware of the new world order world, theologically. And I want to say gently to those who listen to me that had that same thought, I don't think that way anymore. I don't think th that version of the, of the end of things is a necessity biblically. So let me be careful. I, I think if you re read your Bibles in the parts that talk about end times, so the Olivet Discourse in Matthew, and you read Revelation, you read about the, the man of perdition, I think that's Thessalonians, I don't think you're going to find systematically Something the Bible says that you should believe, that it's telling you, you should believe a, a dastardly group, a small cabal of Satanists are going to subsume all the governments of the earth into one new government, that that is inex inexorable, inex inexorable, that it, that it has to happen. I don't think there's a prophecy there, and all I would argue is for you to go find it. I even just gave you some hints. If you want to go look, it's all that discourse, it's Book of Revelation, Son of Perdition, some of those things. I don't think you'll find that the Bible's telling you, you must believe this. This is what is happening. A new world order will come. Now, I do want to affirm this, though. The human heart is bent towards power. The human heart is... A, a wicked thing, especially for the unredeemed. 
one of the outworkings of the wicked human heart is the accumulation of power. And so the idea of one world governance makes sense to me that some humans would want it because humans are fallen. And so those humans are would want to accumulate power for themselves. And I affirm that there are those who very openly say the less sovereignty each country has, the better. And if we could have one global government be in charge, that would be best for everybody. There's a group of people who believe that. It's, it is an unbiblical belief, as I'm about to establish in a, in a minute. But I am telling you both things. Your Bible doesn't say that you need to believe that we are headed to a one-world government, new world order. It doesn't tell you that it has to happen. You should hear your Bible saying to you, though, that there are forces that would love to see that because the human heart is bent towards power. And powerful people just want to accumulate more power over others. Now, we have the book of Genesis with... A couple stories that are helpful here. One is the Tower of Babel. Whether you think that's a historical part of the Bible or not, people I respect think of it as allegorical or some kind of symbol, whatever you think about what that part of the Bible is. I do know what it means for you to take. It means for you to take away that God gave a command to humanity. Fill the earth. Humanity, like they did in the garden, humanity like they did leading up to uh, to to the flood of Noah, was disobedient to God's command. In Babel, their disobedience to his command was they did not fill the earth. They came together, and in that effort of coming together into oneness, would seek to challenge God and his supreme and unified authority, that he is the only one with authority in heaven and on earth. And as punishment to a humanity that sought to take upon itself the the mantle of, of naming what is right and naming what is wrong. Only God gets to do that. And trying to take on that mantle, God punished them. But let's not escape that that instinct in humanity is still there. To become a one. There's something in humanity that will find some kind of safety to come together and rebel against its maker. Doesn't mean that it has to go there. It just means that the human heart is bent that direction. And God will punish. Now, And that is followed by, well, I might have my timing messed up there. Tower of Babel is in Genesis. Oh, man. I wish I knew this. I think it's in Genesis 10. And then Genesis 11 is the table of nations, or it's the other way around. I don't remember. But those two stories back to back do say this. The the Lord's design on this earth is nation states that we spread out into, into, into people groups, and we have borders and sovereignty that there would not be a one people. For what reason? I don't know. I think in part it is... It is for his own glory that the call then goes from from all of time that it would be every tribe, tongue, and nation. What, what can unify such different people? What force could ever bring together the a North Korean, a Russian, a Ugandan, an American, an Australian, uh, a Brazilian? What force could ever unify these people? And then the Lord gets glory to say, just me. 
only one true king above all humanity, not just over nations and people groups, but over all humanity I call all to me. So I don't know the purpose for it, of the Tower of Babel, the Table of Nations, in full, but I am telling you all of the following. I don't think your Bible, okay, I'm sure of it, your Bible does not tell you that we must have a one-world government new world order. Your Bible does tell you that the human heart is dark, and some human hearts would seek to accumulate power for themselves. It doesn't mean they're going to get there. It just means that it does, that that's something they would do. And then three, that God is for sovereignty, sovereignty amongst nations. It's his design. And eventually there will only be the one, but there is only one king worthy to be king of us all. And that's King Jesus. So there we go. We'll leave it there. Okay, next, next up. Next question is from no name. I don't have a name on this. And the email address does not have one embedded in it. So listener, thanks. You know what? Not, they're not being a name on this makes sense with the content. So there was, there's an event happening. I want to be very vague here because I like the people involved a lot and generally admire an instinct they have. And then there's might be some difference in the execution of the instinct. So I want to be very careful here. There's an event happening in the upstate of South Carolina where evangelicals of, of uh, people who identify as Christians from a lot of different stripes, a lot of different theological traditions, a lot of denominations are coming together for an event. I want, I want to be that vague. I, I know a lot of the people involved. Actually, I know them pretty well. And I'll not, I'll not be participating in it. And I think this leads to the question from someone. I don't know how... I actually don't know how this email came to me, but I, I think it brings a good theological discussion for us all. It boils down to this question. What are the theological distinctions where you're no longer able to have fellowship with somebody. So a bunch of people call themselves Christians. There is in that room 50 different divergences of theological stances on things. Okay. Where do you draw the line eventually to say, all right, we're not actually in the same family. Maybe an illustration will help here. This is not original to me. I can't remember where I first heard it. That said, Christianity is like a, can be like a country where we're all in the country, but we might not be in the same state. South Carolina is very different than, I don't know, pick a state, Texas or something. We can travel back and forth. Texans can come to South Carolina. South Carolina can go to Texas and we can all be fine. And we're, but we're not, we're not the same culture. We have some things that are different. But then there are some things where you can go to, you, know, you can go to Germany. And I've told the, the story before. I, was, I spent most of my summers in college in Germany and I was riding my bike to this lake. I turned the corner on my bike and found and couldn't like couldn't process what I was seeing. That it was a group of older people, probably in their sixties, playing volleyball together. Best I could tell, all nude, but I could only see for a second before I I veered off into the woods and pedaled like I'd never pedaled before because I don't know. I, I think I don't know. I was traumatized by it or something. Like we don't do that here. It's obvious that you guys are super German and I'm an American. We don't do what you're doing. And it's, it's, those, it's, it's those lines. And so, for example, it's a state issue type of line, in my estimation, 
when we disagree on the gifts of the Spirit. If in your worship gatherings, there are static utterances and tongues going on, and uh, I'm not going to do any more caricatures uh, of that, but and we don't, and me and my Presbyterian brothers, we have more of a, a austere, serious liturgy, and there's more static liturgy in other places. That's not a thing where we're not, yeah, we're in different states, but we're not in a different country. Things like Bible translation, yeah, we're in different states, we're not in a different country. You're not apostate, and I'm not, for using a different Bible translation. If it's, I mean, I would include soteriology. That means the nature of being saved. If you are a Wesleyan, actually, let me go to Church of Christ. If you're Church of Christ and you have included baptism as one of the things you must do for salvation, I think you're severely wrong, like in a dangerous way. But yeah, I mean, we could... We, we're not in this, I think we're in the same country. We're just not in the same state. We couldn't be in a church together. You're baptizing, baptizing babies over there. No, we can't be in this. We're not in the same state. We're in the same country. It's fine. We're, we'll be fine. I'm st- I still stick in the world. I, I think we're in the same country. If you have ordained women, I'm not sure if we're still in the same country. I, I, I vacillate on that one. There are lines where, yes, we're, we have some differences, but we're all in the same country together. We just don't, we can't be in the same state. We're too different. And then there are historic fundamental things. I don't know if you guys have heard about the Protestant Reformation. It was about 500 years ago. Hope you learned about it in school. It's arguably the most important historical movement ever for a thousand years the catholic church was running the world it had interspersed itself with governments it was both church and government everywhere the kings were not chosen by popes but were heavily influenced by the popes the church the the catholic church 500 years ago we have a reformation to, to, to i don't think we broke away and started the denomination there there are some things that like the nature of salvation, that it's by grace alone, that you don't get it through the church. You don't get it through a work or a certain prayer. It's by grace alone and faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, that it's not any act that I did, but it's the faith that was generated in me by the grace of God to be reconciled to God, by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, not a, I would say here, not a baptism, not a certain kind of prayer, not a an indulgence given, any kind of pence paid. No, it's just by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And I know all of that only by the Scriptures alone. That Scripture is the authority above all else. That it's not a man, not a person, who gets to have authority. Their authority is derived only by how much their decision-making and their decrees match the Word of God. And those are lines that are not just worth drawing. I think those are lines necessary. That's uncomfortable, I guess, for some folks, but it is is a necessary one. So I hope that helps to the emailer. I give you lots of examples of things that we're in the country together. We're just not in the same state. 
But if you do think salvation comes by anything other than by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, I don't think we're in the same family. I don't think we're in the same country. When I think I'm just going to leave it there. I am. When we come back, a lot of things I want to do. We apparently have thousands of Haitians at the Texas border. I have some more thoughts about COVID stuff from, I don't know, a couple weeks ago that I covered some things there. Um, and I, I want to finish with that national separation talk that's now taking place. We'll get started on that when you come back for the rest of the Court Act show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. What to do, what to do with over 10,000 Haitians at the Texas border. We will talk about that in just a moment. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. I am glad you're here. You can find me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or be so kind as to email the show at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. Thank you to all of you who emailed the show today. You got us through the first two segments, and I will take us the rest of the way. So here we go. If you haven't seen the pictures, it's crazy. There are Haitians, thousands of them. It seems, the Los Angeles Times says it is over, well over 10,000 approaching 20,000 Haitian immigrants. Wait, hold up. I didn't mean that word. Technically not immigrants. This is going to be refugees or migrants, just people moving because they haven't actually immigrated to the United States, but there's a part of the story here in a second that might make them immigrants to you. I just want to use the right language. As I heard the story, though, that there are Haitians on the Texas border, I thought for a second, wait, do I not know where Haiti is? I could have swore Haiti was like southeast of Cuba. It was an island. How did you... People can't even swim from Cuba to Florida. It's like 90 miles to Florida. Haiti's even further off. How... What boats got them to, to the Gulf Coast and our Coast Guard didn't pick? How how did we get invaded or Mexico get invaded by 20,000 Haitian people? And that is not what happened at all. As I continued reading and finding out what took place, is I know exactly what happened to Haiti. And apparently after Haiti's, or excuse me, I know exactly where Haiti is. Haiti had that giant earthquake a few years ago. And it appears that this group is are, are people who settled in Chile and Brazil after the earthquake. So these are folks that are not newly leaving. It's that they are uh, they were already in South America, and then in Chile and Brazil during COVID, those economies tanked worse than than a lot than a lot of global economies. And so they started a march north. That's like a thousand miles to come north, all thinking they can get into the United States. Now, it's a sad thing. It's one of those things that you know I want to. It makes me want to find some group to help. Just I don't know, get shelter and water and food until you can figure it out. That's a lot of humanity that has to feel hopeless enough to travel all the way to the United States. And so th- then we now we have to have a discussion now about what what we're going to do because I've heard a couple different clips where they're chanting USA USA like they're it's a, a group trying to play on American patriotism 
but also a, a group of humans. They're not different than you. They just happen to have less than you who are in dire circumstances and asking the question, what do you do? I've made the, I've made the point before. My, sta- my stance on refugees has always been keep, keep people in the countries that are more like their own because they're going to be more comfortable and they're going to have more success. Well, we even did that, apparently. After the Haitian earthquake, they all went to Chile and Brazil, which is going to be more like Haiti. But now they're at our border. Now, while I struggle to on, on what to do with them, I do want to make the same point I made two weeks ago. I am seeing folks on the left trying to find a way to admit, admit them, somehow make them Americans. I want to remind you just that point I made then. I'll go fast. It's, it's part of the, the noetic effect of the fall, the broken brain syndrome, to look at a bunch of folks, excuse me, to look at your own country and say, this place is rotten to the core, it's terrible, it's racist to its bones, there's no opportunity here, you can never achieve, and then to look at a mass of humanity that is a non-white mass of humanity and say, you guys should come in here. It's totally racist, you have no chance here, the place is terrible, and you should come here. They obviously don't even believe their own garbage on the American political left. They don't believe it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be saying we should admit all these folks. Here's where I lean. The United States doesn't have a responsibility. We don't. We don't have any responsibility to bring folks in. We have been given a lot of wealth. We have been given a ton of... The Lord has blessed the United States. The Lord has also blessed... Brazil, Brazil, and Chile, and Mexico, and I'm thinking of Latin America right now because I don't think we need to necessarily be relocating people to, I don't know, Britain or Germany all the way from Latin America. The United States should chip in, I think, but not solve the problem ourselves. We we can say we already we're already funding the UN. You guys can through what we're already paying. Here's an extra couple mil you guys can set up camps somewhere in Mexico along the way but we're not going to have you at our border and to say at Mexico to say to Mexico we're not going to allow you to do that you guys got to solve it that's a long way it's a thousand miles folks had to come someone along the way needs to make sure that you understand there isn't an opportunity just to live under a bridge at the American Mexico border and solve it before it actually happens. And the way that's solved, if however many hundreds of thousands it is, countries help out as they are able, but it can't be just the United States' problem. All right, so that's what's going on at the border. And I think I think the biblical worldview is, if you think I'm wrong, I'm willing to hear it, would, would be what I just said. We have no responsibility. It's Haiti's responsibility. After that, it becomes Mexico's and... Chile's and Brazil's responsibility, but we have been given much out of our own generosity, not because we have to, but that we might want to help some and try to alleviate human suffering through all the resources that we have as a country, and most certainly personally, to alleviate human suffering however we can, giving to, giving to this cause. Because it does look terrible out there, guys. I mean, they made it through a tropical storm. On this journey, some with vehicles, some with not, walked through a tropical storm and are now in the sweltering heat of Texas. Well, talk about empathy. Whatever feeling, as we did at the beginning of the show, maybe this is sympathy or compassion, but 
I feel at least that for this situation. All right. Um, here is, here's where I want to go next. It's the, the COVID world is pervasive. Everything around COVID just takes up a lot of life. As much as that might annoy us all, it's just a reality. Here's just some other thoughts I had since the last time we talked about it. The last time we talked about it, I think, was last week, where I just very, very clearly said, it's illegal. The, the vaccine mandates are illegal, period, bottom line. There's a lot of folks not complying. Lawsuits have started. I, I've, We're going to, we being, I want to be clear on the we, we who have fealty to the Constitution of the United States and value for the idea of human individuality, human freedom, we're going to prevail, I think, on the vaccine mandate. I feel very good about that. Here's something I put out on Twitter about this and uh, was asked to clarify by my big brother as well, and I want to clarify it with you. Here's what it feels like I'm hearing from people on COVID. There's one group of people that say, follow the science. And that follow the science usually means put on a mask, get vaccinated, still still wear a mask after you've been vaccinated, uh, have COVID dominate your life until the day you die. That's what it feels like it means when they say follow the science. And then I have another group. It's smaller. And I don't want to paint too broad of a picture here, but there, there is another group on the internet that says things like follow the money. That there's an agenda here. There's an agenda uh, of nefarious people and you get into a little bit of the COVID conspiracy world and all the various and sundry different ones. There's lots of different COVID conspiracies. And I find neither compelling. You know, even the follow the science people, they it's not a coherent statement. There is no such thing as the science. It doesn't exist. Science isn't, it's sort of a noun, but it's more of a process. You do science. There isn't a science or the science. What they mean is listen to the institutions, the people that are in charge of scientific institutions. That even becomes problematic, though, because which ones? Sweden and their scientific establishment handled it differently than the United States. Australia handled it differently than France. The CDC handled it differently in one month than they did in another month as they gathered more information. There there can even be a very good reason why the CDC of March 2020 is saying something different than the CDC of March 2021. Well, a lot has changed. They've learned a lot. That's fine. But, But the idea that the science is just whatever these people that are in charge say. Well, that's not actually science because science is a process. You're just actually being authoritarian. You're saying not uh, trust the science. You're saying trust the authorities. And for various and sundry reasons, a lot of Americans are skeptical of authorities. And depending on who's in charge, are skeptical of authorities. I'll just give you the example. I recall the campaign of 2020 when the candidates on the left for president and vice president express skepticism about a vaccine because it would have been uh, developed under the previous administration. So you see what they the science would say there, maybe you should trust the vaccine because it's being developed not by the government, but by, by private corporations. But they were skeptical of the authority and therefore expressed skepticism of what some would otherwise call the science. And even on, so the follow the money people, the, cons- the uh, are often a little bit more conspiracy-minded, but I don't want to... They're not all that way. There's certainly a line you cross where you've just made up a whole other reality that everything we see is is a, is a facade. you got to take the red pill or the blue pill, whichever one it was, come out of the matrix and recognize all the powers that are behind everything. And then there are those that are just have a healthy skepticism. They're just 
they're, they're going to want proof. They're going to want to be cautious. They don't trust everything that authorities say. That's just wise and good. I understand that. But even on that idea of the follow the, the money type people, when it comes to, let's say, vaccines, do, there's a lot of money to be made in making a good vaccine. I tend to be very skeptical of government, but very trusting of big corporations. Primarily because big corporations love money. And profit motive makes you want to do a really good job. And so Johnson & Johnson and Pfizer and the other one's called Moderna, the literally thousands of people that make up the infrastructure of establishing a vaccine, creating a vaccine, what they want to do is a good job. Now, maybe they, if you conclude they don't, okay. But that's what they want to do. I've, as, as I follow the money, I'm persuaded to think, I bet those people want to do a very good job. They don't want people to get sick from the product they create because that would hurt their bottom line eventually. Like the government's just doling out cash. You know how much it would hurt one of these companies if one of their vaccines was established to be defective? It's financially ruinous. They want to do a good job. And so while... I don't like the follow the science idea or the follow the money idea. One is just accept the authorities always. The other is being super skeptical of authority. I've landed on follow the math. The math says this. For the vast majority of humanity, COVID-19 is not a big risk to your health. And I, the math says this. The COVID-19 vaccines are not a huge risk to your health. I am seeing the data, or ah, data. I see the stories from doctors. I, I see the stories online. I listen to the, to the podcasts of deleterious effects. I understand that we have a reporting system called VAERS, VAERS um, vaccine, where you can report having a negative, a negative reaction to a vaccine and that people are reporting things there. I have my own skepticism of that reporting system because that's certainly not science. That's someone's story. It's just, it's just an anecdote. I'm, I'm naturally skeptical of anecdotes. I really just want data. And so while I understand folks who are compelled by, a sto- by, by stories or maybe they see growing data, I just say the math says this, man, neither one of these things are a big threat to me. I am not vaccinated. I don't necessarily, I don't think I plan on it, but the reason why is just math. I just, I don't think I'm a threat. In, in part, I, uh, I'm going to move on from that, follow the math thing. Here's just another couple other COVID thoughts. Uh, that's probably how we're going to have to finish today. I was thinking about the COVID, man, the COVID vaccine mandate again, and something occurred to me that I wish I would, I wish I'd have thought of last week. I don't, I don't understand the choices. And I think this is going to come up in court. The choices that employees are given and employers are given is require the vaccine or negative tests. It feels like there's an obvious third option. And then I heard that in Italy, they have provided a third option. And so then I was affirmed like, oh, maybe I'm not an idiot. Maybe this is a good idea. My third option is show immunity. I'm not a science guy. I know nothing. I, I did really I did well in school except for in the sciences, in math. Well, the high-end math. My thought was, I don't know how to test for COVID 
immunity. I, I don't know in what uh, category it comes in. You know, how many types of these cells do you have, or how many antibodies of this sort do you have? I don't know what the measurements are. But for example, if you get like I don't know, we'll call it a, if you have a, a zero to ten, ten being you're totally immune, you have full immunity from COVID. If you can show that the Pfizer and the Moderna and the Johnson Johnson vaccine give you a seven out of ten immunity, and we find that natural immunity gives you seven out of ten, why can't we add that to the list? That you show. No, I've I had COVID uh, at this time. Best we can tell, I went and got this test. It says I have this much immunity, which is the same amount as the person who got the vaccine. And so now I get to come to work and leave me alone. That should be one of the options. It is almost as if for this group making these rules, they didn't even think about natural immunity. Something that's very real. Like that's, and this goes back to the chickenpox thing. Like we gave our kids chickenpox and had those chickenpox parties on purpose for that reason because we know natural immunity is real, and so it's a good idea. It's in part, which makes me conclude even more, it's going to be overturned, because it's clear it is an arbitrary policy that you don't include natural immunity, and that I'm starting to see all the different exceptions. Apparently over half a million workers in the federal government were exempt because of the Postal Service, just because their union doesn't want, want it to apply to them. If you're telling me that it ha- this is... A, a public health response that must be followed for our own good, and you exempt half a million people because they're a, their union is a political buddy of yours? Here's what it tells me. You're not serious. You don't think this is going to work. It's all very political. And for that reason, amongst many others, I'm confident we're not going to be subjected to it. So anyway, I had that thought about national immunity, and I think we're going to have to end there because I just ran out of time. I'll come back and try to do that national separation thing next week if nothing happens in between. Show at gmail.com. If you have thoughts, show at gmail.com. I'll be back next week with another new show. Until then, everybody, peace and love.